Hey everyone, thanks for supporting Stories from Home and tuning in. We recorded this episode and spoke with Monieka from Micronesia Climate Change Alliance about their story snapshot project just before social distancing protocols began. As you may recall, we started this podcast to highlight Story Snapshots, a CJA project that draws from local arts, creativity, and culture to express the vision, heart, and day-to-day work of communities building just transitions across the Alliance. And over time, it has organically grown into a space to tell the stories of CJA communities dealing with their current realities. We hope you find joy and wisdom in their amazing project, as well as learn some great ways to eat sustainably and deliciously as you shelter in place. Take a listen. Welcome to Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition, a podcast series by the Climate Justice Alliance that takes us behind the scenes in local communities building sustainable and equitable climate justice solutions in their own backyards. Climate Justice Alliance is a growing member alliance of 70 urban and rural frontline communities, organizations, and supporting networks in the climate justice movement. In Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition, we'll hear from the organizations, creators, and communities spotlighted in Story Snapshots, a new CJA project that draws from local arts, creativity, and culture to express the vision, heart, and day-to-day work of communities building just transitions across the Alliance. I'm Keenan Rhodes with CJA and the Kepper Institute in Indianapolis, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm excited to have Monieka from the Micronesia Climate Change Alliance, also known as MCCA, with us. She's joining me all the way from Guam. I first met Monieka a few months ago at a media training that Climate Justice Alliance held with those participating in our Storytelling Through Art project, which we call Story Snapshots Living the Just Transition. This project aims to creatively uplift the climate justice work being done by CJA community members and bring to life how they are effectively transitioning from harmful models of consumption and production to just and regenerative ones. This podcast series accompanies their work and each month as we release a new snapshot, we feature those who created it. When I last spoke with Monieka about the snapshot that MCCA was creating, she exuded so much passion and excitement. I am happy to have the chance to reconnect with her again and see where things are. Who is Monieka and what is Micronesia Climate Change Alliance? Okay, Hafade, Buenas, Tiro, Guahusi, Monieka, Dioro. I'm from the Mariana Islands, primarily residing in Guahan or Guam as it's better known in the Western Pacific. It comes from a land of beautiful tropical coconut tree paradise with the ocean right in our backyard. Um, And I feel so blessed to be from such a sacred place and such a, uh, I haven't, my ancestors have been here for 4,000 years. We're one of the oldest, uh, the Chamorro people are one of the oldest civilizations in remote Oceania. Um, And I feel very privileged to carry that bloodline. And I have a lot of passion and wanting to protect my culture and protect the environment that has shaped my people and my community for so long. And 
um, our, our people, like most of the world, has been negatively impacted by colonization. Chamorro are the indigenous people of the 15 islands of the Marianas Archipelago in the Western Pacific. They first settled the islands about 4,000 years ago, creating one of the oldest remote Oceana civilizations. They were a matrilineal and egalitarian society where respect and reciprocity were central to their way of being. Our, our people, like most of the world, has been negatively impacted by colonization. Guam has been, was the first Pacific place to ever be in contact with the conquistadors. We, 500, it'll be 500 years next year, in 1521, that the Spaniards, through Magellan, came through our islands. So um, being here in this time and trying to rectify and heal from all of the historical trauma through all the different um, colonizers and empires that have come through our state because Guam and the Marianas still have not exercised their right to self-determination and have not ever been decolonized throughout this 500-year occupation. And to be here in this time and still recognize the value of my ancestors and my culture and to speak my language is something that I um, am very proud of and hope to contribute to to ensure that my, my descendants remember that remember our ancestors and my descendants are also living in a way that's more attuned and more connected to the ancestors and to the spirit of the of the spirits that still reside here. So tell me more about specifically what does Micronesia climate change do and what is the desired future state that um, you all want to see? So Micronesia Climate Change Alliance began in 2018, towards the end of 2018. So it's a baby nonprofit. We just got our 501c3 status within the last few months. And really in this short amount of time, we've really been able to bring up the conversation of climate change and ring the alarm on the impacts of climate change and the ways that we as a community need to be responding so that we are resilient to those impacts. We're here in Micronesia, which is definitely at the forefront of uh, climate change impacts. We have uh, we are a region of uh, many different island nations that are scattered across a vast ocean. And some of us have a real potential of losing our islands due to sea level rise, like in the Marshall Islands. And here in the Marianas on the eastern side of, of Micronesia, Marshalls is on the west, the Marianas are on the eastern side. We have a uh, we are very vulnerable to the impacts of uh, of super typhoons and cyclones. We have in 2018, right when MCCA started, it was in response to ty super typhoon U2, which was one of the biggest storms ever recorded in human history that really devastated the islands of Tinian and Saipan. And they're still a year and a half later um, recovering from that storm. And Storms are definitely going to be the increase in storms, the the increase the in, increase of the intensity and the amount of storms that are going to be coming through are are definitely um, caused by climate change. Uh, we also we're we're just our islands are so finite in land resources and we're so dependent on the ocean. So any of the impacts on the ocean and the levels of temp and the temperature rise on the ocean and our to and the, those impacts to our fish resources and to our coral reefs are so important for us to come around and protect and really um, be advocates for and and do anything that we can because those are resources that have um, 
sustained our populations since the beginning of time. And if, if we lose those because of human behaviors and especially because of human behaviors that are from people so far away, because we don't contribute to the fossil fuels at a high rate, we really um, do our best, I feel, as islanders, as we always have to like live within our means and to share the resources that we have. And that's just ingrained in our wisdom because we come from such isolated areas. We need to survive through sharing, through cooperation, through community. What colonization has done to us and what Western values have done to us is it's kind of disconnected us from each other and from our resources in that way. So um, Micronesia Climate Change Alliance is definitely about shifting value systems back to a more indigenous way of being and a more um, conscientious way of no of uplifting our relations in all of the, in all that we do um and we have so many different projects we are a really small group of really passionate um uh civic minded people and um we do a lot of education on decolonization we have a a, a plastics pilot program that we're launching we're also doing a youth emerging climate youth um leadership development program in in association with the University of Guam here and the Center for Island Sustainability and a young student organization called the UOG Green Army. So we're really, we have a lot of beautiful and exciting things that we are um, blessed to be a part of and we continue and we hope to continue to bring awareness and find new ways to um, engage our community. We're also uh, involved in a very government level um, climate change task force, commission and task force with so many other scientists and agency leads and where we represent the community voice in that, in those high level government meetings. And we've been appointed by our governor to sit on a zero waste plastic initiative um, or a zero waste initiative and uh, really being out there more and more in the media in case the concept of zero waste is new to you, it refers to the lofty goal of aiming to reduce what we trash in landfills and incinerators to zero and to rebuild our local economies in just ways that are regenerative and helpful to our communities, not our current ways that take from them and pollute them. We're hoping to expand out through the rest of the Marianas and through the rest of Micronesia this idea of uh, the just transition. I see. So... How does Monieka arrive at Micronesia Climate Change Alliance? How does how did you get there? Um, and what's been your own journey and self-discovery in doing this kind of work? So I've been an activist um for 10 plus years now. When I became a mom, I really became like more radicalized uh and more uh driven and committed to uplifting my community, my especially my um, Chamorro community here and in Guam. May I, uh-huh. Oh, sorry. May I ask, and, uh, when did you become a mom? I became a mom in 2008. So I have a, I have a, a 12, he'll be 12 this year. Oh my gosh. Um, so I was, I was, wow. I was a really young mom, but I was also always like politically aware and really um, critical of, U.S. military presence on my on my islands and Guam is um, a really tiny island. It's only thirty miles long and eight miles wide at the widest. It's so it's just a speck. You don't even see it on a map. 
And for such being such a little tiny island, we have a huge U.S. military presence. And anytime anyone knows about Guam in the United States, they just pretty much know it as a military base. We have an Air Force base, we have a Navy base, and we are in the midst of a construction and military buildup of a Marine Corps base. Um, so around the time my son was born was when they made these announcements from uh, from the U.S. government level that they want to, that there's plans to further increase the military presence on Guam and throughout the Marianas and shift um, Marine bases that were that were in Okinawa, Japan, to Guam. And they did all of this without consulting any of the government leaders here, without consulting our community. They just made the announcement. And because we are an unincorporated territory of the United States, we are a part of and belong to the United States, but we don't, we, we don't participate in the democratic process. We don't have a vote in Congress. We have a delegate who can only sit on, um, sit on certain uh, committees, but doesn't have a have a vote on the floor for all different things. Uh, we can't vote for president, so it's just an interesting place as a to live in a, co- a highly colonized place and to have a political awareness that's not really um, shared amongst all people. And the military buildup and the issues of further imp- imposing on and and um, using our resources for war was something that I was so concerned about for my son and uh, our water resources are so precious and they're building a firing range right over our, as we speak, they're building a firing range right over our, our aquifer, which provides water. It's just a beautiful resource and it provides um, fresh water to almost 80% of our population and to build a firing range with all these heavy metal contaminants right over that resource and to bulldoze thousands of acres of pristine forest, which we have barely little of left anymore, is something that I really felt called to speak out against and to learn more about and to um, react to. So I've been doing that sort of demilitarization work and peace work in our islands, not just in Guam, but throughout the rest of the Marianas and um, for 10 years now. And uh, I, connecting it back to climate change, you know, the U.S. military is the biggest consumer of fossil fuels and the big one of the biggest polluters along with industrial agriculture of of our entire world so being a cog in the war machine here and using our our all of our resources our ocean for training our land for military training and being a conduit for the oil for oil and being the being a place where the protectors of the of of the fossil fuel industry are being trained here. It's it, it's definitely really connected to the entire climate justice movement and bringing the struggles and the bringing the struggles and the the, the straight up occupation that's happening on our lands, the desecration that's happening on our lands to promote this fossil fuel industry um, and protect it is something that brought me into climate change and into the climate change movement and the climate justice movement. And I became connected to Michelle mostly through um, Instagram and through social media because she was, as she was learning more, she's a pretty much a new resident to Guam and as she was educating herself and becoming more aware of the issues such as militarization and colonization. And she was sharing that information with people in a really um, creative and a really visual way through Instagram stories and through, um, and through 
just really great imagery. She was telling the story uh, in a really real way that people were can um, create and creating really useful educational uh, resources that even though these are things I knew, there's uh, so many people who don't learn this. It, you don't learn it in school. You don't learn it. Um, and so it, it sh sh as she was becoming woke, I was just really um, expressing my gratitude to her for sharing the story in a way that really she, where people are really learning. And uh, we I became I started to attend some of the strikes that she was planning and some of the um, uh, actions that she was doing. And she suggested that um, what and she at the same time she uh, MCCA was becoming a, a Climate Justice Alliance member. So she suggested, and there was the opportunity to attend um, the COP25 in Madrid. And she asked if it, it was something I was interested in doing because they were really wanting to forward indigenous voices and indigenous perspectives from the front lines. So she knew of my background in um, decolonization work for the island. So she suggested that I go. And that's been, so I went to Madrid in December and met all the wonderful people associated with Climate Justice Alliance and the Indigenous Environment, Environmental Network and the Grassroots Global Justice Group. And, and I was just so blown away and amazed to our own It Takes Roots delegation that went to Madrid, as well as all the other Earth Guardian warriors that all connected through the civil society component of the UN um, COP25 discussions. And that completely changed my world of the, uh, how interconnected all of our struggles are and, and, and that the pathways to healing are, are just as, in connect, as interconnected. And I'm just so grateful to come into the framework of the Just Transition because it truly is hopeful and it truly is com comes from a place that completely shifts our whole entire systems and these systems that have um, oppressed so many of us and have extracted and... Um, devastated our environment along the way. Thanks for tuning in to Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition, a new podcast series from the Climate Justice Alliance. My name is Kristen Dre, and I'm the Digital Strategy Fellow at CJA and the Just Transition Communications Fellow at the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, or El Vejo, on the west side of Chicago. Alvejo is an EJ org that focuses on food justice, air and water quality, and youth programming in a Latinx neighborhood that has been systematically impacted by racial and environmental bias. As youth climate activists, I use storytelling to highlight marginalized narratives while amplifying information that impacts our communities. Thanks and enjoy the show. So Micronesia Climate Change Alliance, very multifaceted. Also Monyeka, the human being, very multifaceted. So why the the narrow focus of, at least for this story, Snapshots Project, um, why the cookbook? And how does that relate to the theory like of just transition? One of the writers um, for our cookbook is my younger sister. And she's also just as um, passionate about doing all this work. And she's been more of a teacher for me when it comes to the food systems but she's our main writer and she wrote so eloquently and beautifully about the relationship that people need to shift especially when it comes to food we, we all need to eat and here in the Marianas and most and most of the Pacific as well like we are 
so reliant and over reliant on imported foods and most of these imported foods have so much preservatives and chemicals and they're highly processed and they're really bad not only for our bodies but they're really bad for the environment and we have over 90% of our food is imported which is really scary given the environment right now and all these storms like if if something catastrophic were to happen in the world we only have enough food stocks for to to maintain our island for they they don't even I think the projections are like two weeks um so given climate change and given our health disparities that we have here because we have such high rates of non-communicable diseases cancer um diabetes like the way that we eat and the shifting that it needs that we all need as a community to have around our food systems and food sovereignty is so essential to realizing the just transition because food food is is not just a means to live it, it there's also like a spiritual energy about the way that we consume food and the relationships that we have with food and if we return more to um, cultivating our lands to feed ourselves if we return more to a more indigenous diet it will undoubtedly heal us in a very real way both mentally physically and spiritually and um exploring that with the these other women and exploring it, it's fun it's not just uh it's not just uh food is fun food is food unites us food connects us and um food is central to our community it's central to the way that we relate to each other you can't have a, a gathering here in the islands and not have food um so to have to just start it's just it's just a simple place to start because everybody needs to eat and everybody needs nourishment and if we really give people tools to nourish themselves in a way that's um, better for the environment and better for their bodies, it's such an easy place to start engaging the community in. Do you have any um, standout recipes? Do you have any favorites from the cookbook that you've been able to try yourself? Uh, gosh, there's so many. It's so good. And we what we did was like take a lot of the native comfort foods that have a lot of meat in it per, like and and just give other vegan options or plant-based options one of the things that i'm contributing to the book and i uh, is about the coconut and the use of the coconut um as a resource and as a food and as uh and just teaching people more about the coconut because we have so many coconut trees on 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 the island and right now most people just buy their coconut milk or they buy coconut water and it's imported in one of the things that I wanted to get people to do is just reconnect to the land by using the coconut. And it's important for us to use this resource, this resource that has sustained us for thousands of years, especially now in this time, because we have an invasive species called the co coconut rhinoceros beetle that has come on Guam about 11 years, 12 years ago now. And they've been really devastating this really important resource. And so if I can get people to to want to just use our resource before we lose it, that's one thing that I'm really proud of that this book um, this book will will um, encourage people to do. So in teaching the different life stages of the coconut and which ones are are best for what kinds of recipes and food is um, something that's really exciting and something that most people don't even know about. Like I was 26 when I husked my first coconut and living on an island full of coconut trees, that's just shameful that we 
buy coconuts from thousands of miles away instead of use the ones that we have right here now. But that's just the truth of our situation of being an America, Americanized community and being a Westernized community is that we just don't use our resources the way that we should. Tell me like some of the, uh, A, some of the plant-based alternatives. And if you could pick one recipe um, from that book, like, and just describe it in detail, like what are some of the ingredients? How long does it take to make? Some of the recipes, one that uh, based on the coconut too is from um, a brand spanking new um, raw vegan restaurant here called Fauna Cultures. And the founder of Fauna Cultures, Fauna is like our, our creation goddess here. And um, Cultures is also gives an idea of not only our culture from that creation goddess, but also the idea of probiotics and cultures in your food that fix your gut gut biome. Um, one of the recipes that she contributes is a really simple yogurt, coconut yogurt from, um, a young coconut and we call it manha here. You have to uh, open it up and save the water. And then, um, depending on how much coconut you get, you basically blend it down with a little bit of the coconut water and you let it sit for a few hours, three to five at minimum. And the while the, the, um, the coconut will start to ferment with its own sugars and it will just do a wild fermentation process, which will create not only probiotics, but prebiotics as well. And, um, you let that grow and it will expand and, and just like any other yogurt or kombucha, and it will create a base, which can be turned into something really sweet and, and like a frosting dressing. If you want to add a honey or agave to it, or it can be savory and you could add um, different spices and flavorings to it to make it another sort of like ranch dressing or any other kind of dressing base. So that's a really great recipe and the resources all around us. And um, and it's a really healing recipe too because it has all these probiotics and prebiotics. That's just one recipe. There's so many more that are also incorporate lots of store-bought stuff. So it's, if you, if like going out and harvesting your own thing isn't what you're into, there's, there's different levels of engagement and like there's guacamole and there's salsas, there's soups, there's juices, there's breakfast items, there's dinner items. There's so many, uh, we have about 50 recipes and there's just, it, it, depending on your level of engagement and your commitment to it. And we also have tips on getting started and being more conscientious, conscientious because we're not pushing a, vegan plant-based lifestyle. We're just pushing people to be more mindful uh, and maybe incorporate less meat and incorporate less processed food. All the ingredients are, I guess you said, there are varying levels, but as say at the most intense or most engaged level, all of the ingredients for a lot of these recipes can be locally sourced yes. or grown right, come from foods we, right there on the yeah, island. We definitely were big our big proponents with this book of of celebrating the produce that has been here and and supporting the farmers that grow the food right here and it's crazy that most of those foods are more expensive and more inaccessible than foods grown and flown here and not grown but flown here or shipped here so but it's really important as a way to increase our food sovereignty and our viability of, of a community here to support those those if support farmers and also plant your own plant your own plants and use what's around you have relations with your neighbors that might have something that you don't 
lemon. We have so much lemons here. We have, we're so blessed. We have lemons, we have mangoes, we have all these things. And we also incorporated in the book is the seasons and the list of all the things and the seasons and where you can find them and, uh, and, uh, and a how to guide and a basically a like plant-based 101 for Guam and where, where are the best places to go shopping? What are the restaurants that, that provide more, um, vegan friendly, plant-based friendly, um, options and uh, farmer farmers markets and 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 um things like that following up with that and you spoke about this earlier you started like you alluded to it um but like the importance of this cookbook in changing long-term behaviors um and creating long-term food solutions uh can you tell me more about like what you hope um like what are your hopes for this your personal hopes for this cookbook and like you know, what do you see, where areas do you see the community like taking on this cookbook and starting to implement these, um, these recipes into their diets? Um, one of the big things too, for this cookbook is that we really wanted to be, um, eco about its printing. So, uh, we, we contract, our printer is actually going to be using soy based recycled, soy based ink on recycled paper and um, trying to be as sustainable in just the printing aspect. And we're also really pr promoting the digital download. We're also looking at partnering with a food supply store, a grocery st uh, store chain here. And they have in their grocery store an edu kitchen where we will be launching our book and having a few of our contributors um, demonstrate the cooking process of some of the recipes and inviting the community to be there for that and to taste some of the recipes. And we're wanting to do all the launching in April um, as a part of the Earth Month activities that MCCA is involved with. Um, and we hope to continue to build curriculum and to build engagement around this book and find opportunities to fund that by visiting um, the low the low income housing communities here, um, and sharing some of the information with them, and uh, really just having the digital download, um, kind of just being shared and being used um, at all the different and and sharing that at all the different places where people eat already, um, at restaurants and at, uh, at grocery stores as well, putting up some posters and encouraging people to check out our website and check out the resources that we are um, have for our community to be shifting in that sort of way. Um, yeah, it's just a little step. I We hope that people are excited about it. When we do talk about it, it, it does sound like our community is wanting more and more to, um, there's so many more plant-based um, restaurants popping up around the island. So that's really, it's just really exciting to be a part of that. We still have a lot to combat where there's still so many um, people who aren't interested and so many people who don't even know about it yet. So there's a, it's, it's ripe for engagement and ripe for education. And that's so beautiful. Like, can you tell me also a favorite moment, like one of those moments that you're ever like, wow, like this is so beautiful. And like, and this work is so important and this cookbook can, has like a lot of potential to change the way people think and connect to food. Like, can, can you tell me about one of those favorite moments or memories from working on this so far? Oh yeah. So at the same time that we were having a lot of meetings to um, organize this cookbook, we were organizing a, the, the 
Micronesia um, Global Women's March. And we met with one of our contributors, one of the biggest contributors, her name's Veroni. Um, and she's also the artist for the book. She painted some beautiful artwork that's going to be incorporated in the book. Um, so we met with her at the at the location that we were having our Women's March end at. And it was it's right along the beach, and then there's a statue of all these women, and um, meeting her there and um, going through all of her art and sitting by the statue of three generations of island women. Um, and it was really just a nice, like just knowing that the our ancestors and their energy is kind of still um, guiding us and gathering us today. It, um, it, it was just a reminder just sitting there at the beach and with, and with looking at all the art of all the different fruits that are being painted and all the different veg- vegetables and seeing it all come together and meeting her. Because we so much of our meetings are done over technology with whatsapp and through email and so just coming together and really like spending sharing time together in real life was just really nice to see and just we got all the more excited every time we meet up together to um see all the pieces come together and see the how how we can incorporate the artwork and how we can incorporate things like composting and so many different things that we want to do we already know that we're going to probably need a second edition to this book at some point um uh, yeah, just really being and being on the land and sharing with one of the contributors their passion and their art was just really nice to see, and I'm so excited for our community to to um, be able to consume that. And aside from all the other things that they're consuming, because it really is such a beautiful healing thing. Are there any recipes that are in there that you remember like from maybe childhood or earlier experiences that you had had in the community? Uh, maybe recipes that are in there that like your that someone like a relative might have made for you in the past. Oh, yeah, there's that you thought, oh, this would be good. Yeah, there's so like, many. But we have to have this. There's so many of them. And one of them just came up when we were shooting our little commercial for it. We have this dish and it, it's called Kelleguin and it could be cooked with all different types of protein. It's actually really not cooked. It's a raw recipe where you're cooking um, chicken or fish or deer meat or even cow meat or even spam using acid, using lots of lemon and salt to do the cooking for you. And there's some sort of chemical reaction that happens and, and it's kind of like ceviche. It's like a ceviche recipe. And um, one of our members in MCCA when we were shooting just, and she didn't even add this recipe to the book, but she had it for our commercial and it's, and she did a tofu version of it. And it was so good. You wouldn't think after eating the shrimp version of this and the chicken version of this, that a tofu version would be even remotely good. Um, But she did a tofu version of it and it was so delicious and so great. And I just happened to have grated, we just happened to have grated coconut in the back and we added the coconut to it. And um, I'm so glad that that's included because it's a mainstay. It's Kelleguin is in every single fiesta table or party. There's some version of this Kelleguin and to have a plant-based version is so exciting. And I'm so happy that um, it, it, is going to be in our book because it's an important recipe. People always love to eat it. It's uh, one of our, um, yeah, it's one of our national dishes. And to have a plant-based version is just amazing. And a plant-based version that tastes good because not all plant-based things taste great, you know, especially if it's trying to mock a meat or a meat protein. 
Yeah, I I don't care what anyone says. Like an Impossible Burger is not the same thing as a Whopper. <laughs> exactly. I'll just like I'll, I'd rather just like eat a like a mushroom sandwich. Like, well, let's 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 cut the <laughs> or a green bean or a red bean, red bean, red bean burger. Yeah, like, I'll I'll just eat vegetables. <laughs> it's like we're, why are we why are we playing? Yeah. So you spoke a lot of earlier about some of the external challenges, like in terms of shifting the food culture, shifting our ideas around consumption. Can you talk about some of like the internal challenges? When we had that initial meeting and we had like a brainstorm of all the different recipes and we had all we had the list of contributors say the list of recipes that they can contribute. Um, that that list was so long and then actually collecting those from people the biggest challenge that so many people have had is that recipe books you need to have um, um, measurements for things and majority of the people don't measure things it's only to taste or it's to flavor if it's to ratios so they were so intimidated just to submit recipes because they don't have measurements for it they have the instructions and they have the things, but like they don't know how many cups of what to what. Like they, it, that's been a big, huge challenge is getting people to submit because they just don't know how to convert the process into a recipe, into a recipe because they've just been making it and making it to the to um, without any real measurement systems, and that's very indigenous too. Like we didn't have cups and ounces and stuff, so. Contributors were just so stoked to be a part of the project. And that's what really great about like working with passionate, especially women is just that like once you get them to like, we organize pretty quickly and we hold each other accountable in ways that are, especially here on Guam, I feel like women just know innately how to do that. We've always been doing that. So it's, it, it's not difficult, especially when there's a passion involved. It's not difficult to get us together to move quickly. You know, you wouldn't think about like how, um, I don't know, like even small practical things like what are the actual measurements for like how to make this food or this, uh, like this recipe. You know, I even think about like my own like family and how, so even with seasoning, like everything is like, you just eyeball it. Like you're not like, yeah. there's no measuring cups involved in the cooking exactly. process Exactly. from this process of making this cookbook. What did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about your community? So one in the process of collaborating and collecting and um, executing this cookbook, I reflected and learned more about my own relationship to food and food systems. And um, I used to garden a lot more and I used to cook a lot more home and um, just, I haven't been making that a priority and, and reading all the cookbooks and watching my friends who center food in their lives and have that be a big part of their everyday life has been inspirational to me. And I really need to be more about it and making food preparation and mealtime more intentional and having a more um, uh, mindful experience when eating food. I definitely choose foods and have been good about choosing foods that are healthier for me and supporting local businesses that are more attached and promote the local food systems and, fo- and, and local agriculture here. And I need to be more um, 
about being about it and, and a, a better, more mindful um, consumer. Things that this cookbook has taught me about my community is that we still have a lot of knowledge about our foods and we still have a lot of innovation. And there's so much innovation that's being done by our people to promote being healthier and being happier. Like food is such a um, essential part of the human experience and um, the foods that we eat matter. We are what we eat. Um, and if we are eating foods that have, have closer resonance to our ancestors and are from this land, then we will undoubtedly be a healthier, happier community just by virtue of that, just by virtue that we're more connected to who we are ancestrally and geographically. And we're not filling our minds and our stomachs with processed, imported, nasty foods that aren't even really food anymore. So it's a process of decolonization. It's a process of healing. And we can do all of that just by shifting our habits around food. And I'm excited for our community to continue to grow and embrace that very simple truth. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You have right. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. You can find the cookbook, Fangayasi, Conscious Living and Compassionate Eating, which contains more than 50 vegan and vegetarian adapted traditional recipes from Shamaru, Filipino, and international cuisines by local women wellness coaches, chefs, artists, nutritionists, and entrepreneurs at micronesiaclimatechangealliance.com slash shop. All proceeds support the climate justice work of the Micronesia Climate Change Alliance. If you like what you hear, please share this episode. Donate at climatejusticealliance.org and sign up for our newsletter for updates. Also, let us know what you think of the podcast. You can find all our contact information, including social media, at climatejusticealliance.org. Story Snapshots is a project by the Climate Justice Alliance. From local to international, from prairies to mountains to island shores, from youth to elders, we work together toward a shared vision for the future. Stories from Home, Living the Just Transition is produced by Jessica Zhao, Keenan Rhodes, Olivia Burlingame, and Samantha Harvey. Our sound editing team includes Elijah Pogues, Jennifer Wager, and Callie Wright. The music is One Fine Day by The Insider and Stuff Will Never Love You Back by Dr. Turtle.